0: The clay court swing is getting to its pointy end and with one week to go until Roland Garros starts, the big players are starting to make their move. Rafael Nadal and Igish Swiatek winning in Rome and gave us a sense of deja vu with the French Open champions from last year both playing some scintillating tennis to come out on top. Roger Federer has also made his comeback while Serena Williams also played her 1,000th match last week all that and more to come on Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febbo, and joining me, as he always does, we've had a little bit of a hiatus the last few weeks, but we are back roaring and ready to go. Joel Frucci joins me. Joel, how are you going?
1: Good, Val. Good to see you, mates. Has been a while. Um, yeah, this is this is the working girl life where've uh, we've both got full-time jobs we're we're very busy so uh, yeah we've been offline for a couple of weeks but um yeah it's good to be back and um, geez a little bit's happened while we've uh, while we've been toiling away behind our desks in the in tennis world, hasn't it
0: yeah there really has been we've had uh, Madrid we've had Rome we've had um, we've had plenty going on and um, also, how, how could I leave off off the top? I think uh, I think the one thing that we do need to speak about is Ash Barty. So we'll discuss her a little yeah. bit later on in the program because she's in unbelievable form at the moment. But I think starting off the top, um, the, the, probably the newest piece of news that we've got um, before we do get to our special guest, Harry Manners, who is a uh, a Greek tennis expert and a, a good friend of Stefano Tsitsipas. Um, he's housed him over here in Melbourne. And um, just getting to know Steph. Over the years, so it'd be great to get a, a perspective from a Greek person's point of view and what Stephanos Citibus has done for the community in Greece, and let alone here in Melbourne, with such a big Greek um, population here. I think Melbourne's the largest Greek city outside of Athens, or something like that, with the most Greek people, which is absolutely astonishing. Yeah. So phenomenal stuff. Uh, by us here in Melbourne, but um, Joel Roger Federer made his return in Geneva last night. First match since Doha. Took on Pablo Andujar of Spain, and look, it was it was looking good. He was uh, played okay, lost the first set, won the second, was up four two in the third, and then Andujar uh, took home the last four games to claim the match. And look, it was very similar to what we saw in uh, in Qatar. Federer very rusty. Um, you know, it, the shots were there, the movement was there, kind of, but just making a lot of errors. And the game in practice, while it might be good, you need that match practice, and you need that the, the you need the actual match play to get yourself ready. And has he played enough matches? Because he said that Wimbledon is the focus, and I hundred percent get that. But yep. he's given himself one tournament before Roland Garros. If should he lose in the first round of Roland Garros, that's at least three sets that he's only going to get there. Three to five. Then he plays Halle, which is on grass two weeks before Wimbledon. Is three tournaments enough? Because he, I think if he, if he wants to do well, I reckon he's got to at least get to the third... Or do well at Wimbledon, I mean. He's got to get to at least the third or fourth round at Wimbledon. Uh, French, Roland Garros. That's I think that's probably going to be the target for him there. He knows he's not going to win it. But I reckon... If he doesn't get through to the third or fourth round, Joel, does he kiss his Wimbledon chances goodbye?
1: Um, yeah, quite possibly. It's a pretty short turnaround, and um, yeah, I guess we saw with uh, we saw with Ash Barty really um, in uh, in the Australian summer just how important that that match practice is. Obviously, Ash is absolutely flying now, so I'm sure Roger will be really hoping that um, the the same fate. Um, Strikes him um, as as well. Um, Look, I mean, even no disrespect to Pablo Andujar. Really going to emphasize the (laughs) Andujar. Um, (laughs) No disrespect to him, but I I would have thought that this is, even off the back of very limited match play, probably still a match that that Roger would want to be winning or that I would would expect Roger to win. Um, But look, fair play to uh, Pablo. He got the job done. Um uh, and yeah, you've um I guess you've got to say that yeah probably it's 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 pretty lean amount of matches. I mean yeah, if I'm Roger, you probably want to <laughs> probably want to pack in as many as you can, regardless of um of the the difference between the surfaces.
0: Yeah, and that and look, I think Roger would have expected to have won that match last night, and I think that's I think he'd be pretty disappointed, and he said that he was, but. Happy to be back out on the court. Wimbledon's still the goal, but at the French Open, it's it's going to be difficult for him. He'll have a top-eight seating, so that means yeah, he'll sure. have protection. He'll be better off for this match, don't get me wrong, but I really think he needs to start playing some um, some severe sets and some really strong sets in practice ahead of, uh, ahead of the tournament in Paris. But um, we'll park that for now because we'll find out a little bit more next week at Roland Garros. But... Yeah. Um, Joel, what we've seen at Rome and Madrid, we've seen some pretty remarkable tournaments from a few different people, and we'll start with Rome. Um, Rafael Nadal, what more can we say? Match points down against Denis Shapovalov. Um, Shapovalov had so many chances to win that match early on in the tournament, and then Rafa just comes up trumps and and does such an uh, unbelievable, saying it in Rafa voice, job. (laughs) Um, of coming back as he so often has done on clay and over the years. And then to beat Novak in the 57th installment of their rivalry, I just find it so staggering what he's been able to do. It's another tournament where he boasts 10 or more wins now in Rome. And um, I was a bit sceptical on him before the tournament as to whether maybe this might be the time where he may not win the French, but... I stand very corrected because he goes in as the warm favourite now, doesn't he?
1: I cannot believe what happened. Um, <laughs> no, um, I mean, really, like, at this point, can we can we really ever write Rafa off on clay? I mean, no. that's, that's really all that I think needs to be said. Um, you know, rinse and repeat. Uh, that match against Denis Shapovalov was just something else, really. Um, mm. A little bit disappointed in, in Chapeau. I mean, as good as... Obviously, Rafa is Rafa. We know how good he is on clay and all the attributes that he has. But, um, you know, I think Chapeau in the position that he was in, they're, they're probably the matches that you you really want him to start winning. And you feel as though for him to really take the next step in his career, he needs to start winning those matches when he's in those winning positions against these these big guys like, like Rafa, like Novak, if ever he finds himself in that spot. Um, yeah you know, he probably needs to be converting um converting those wins to uh to really uh push through i think so a little bit disappointed in that sense but um yeah look i guess from you know from a, a purist point of view i mean watching rafa win on clay um yeah <laughs> what more can you say
0: really yep death taxes and rafa winning on clay that's pretty much what we can yeah. uh, what we can find in life but i, I think one thing that w- we spoke about last week regarding dennis Shapovalov, we'll get back to rafa in a sec but is he doesn't want to be known as a flat track bully. And he's getting to the tournament he's getting to the point in his career now where if I if I search, I'm pretty sure he the he's he's not been able like he's pushed a lot of players in his in his career and he's beaten a lot of players as well. And we've seen we've seen him do it. We've seen him beat Nadal in his home deck in um in Canada. But we've also seen him lose a lot of matches that he should win he's only really made the one grand slam quarterfinal and he's also only got one title to his name
1: and yeah that's a yeah
0: for someone that plays as well as he does and is the world number 15 one title doesn't seem like it's enough for the quality that Denis Shapovalov possesses so is it a fact sure. that he just has to improve himself mentally and get himself and sort of get himself into more positions where he doesn't get nervous and he doesn't lose his mind half the time because there's a lot of time where you see him get really angry, and that's I guess maybe when he plays at his best, when he's feeling emotional and when he's got the emotions up and running. But I don't, I don't know. I think his career so far has been a little bit subpar, Joel, and that's being very, very harsh. But if he wants to make an indent in his career, he's got to start winning those matches.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I. I think, yeah, he's at a point where he, he does need to start really taking some scalps, but um, you know, I guess at the same time, um, we also do have to remember that he's still he's still very early on um, in, in his career, certainly in, in an age sense as well. So, look, well, he's got a lot of improving left to do, and you know, I've got no doubt that, that he will. Um, uh, but, you know, times times obviously on his side, um, and you know, the more that the more that things happen, the, the better they will. That'll get. I just, I do wonder if, um, I I think for him, maybe he's going to get the right sort of people behind him um, behind the scenes. So I think maybe that's one thing that he could potentially look at. I'm not, not a hundred percent sure that, that Eugenie is the best guy for it, but I guess we'll wait and see.
0: (laughs) Oh, Mikhail, we, you, you just, you can't help but just laugh every time you hear his name. And I just envision that racket smash over the head time and time again. But yeah, you're right. It's it's an interesting one. And I guess the French Open is going to give us another indication of where Shapovalov is at because the Australian Open was very subpar by Dennis's standards and getting smacked off the court by Felix Auger, alias wasn't probably what he wanted and what he expected uh, from that tournament. So that's a watch this space here for the French Open. But Iga Fiontek, well, she's opened up her bagel shop in uh, in Italy because uh, she dis batched Carolina Pliskova in the final six love six love and look she's just firming again and we had this discussion on her I can see her being at least a five six time grand slam winner and if she continues to play like that she's going to be extremely extremely tough to beat come Roland Garros and come the rest of the season
1: yeah definitely um yeah Ego is she's just phenomenal really um Massive future ahead of her to get a, a double bagel against Karolina Pliskova, just yeah, unreal. I was speechless really when I when I saw the score. Um, and uh, yeah, what I love about her is she just is just continuing to build, and, and it doesn't really look like um, she's gonna she's gonna stop anytime soon. Obviously, we've seen some some young players on on both sides, the men's and the women's, sort of come through, and a lot of them have. Paked quite young um, and have really impressed us quite young and have done things at a very young age, which is which is what Ega's doing. But I think the difference with her, Val, is that she just looks so measured and so composed. Um, and clearly has a uh, has a really good head on her, which I think is is really, really important. Um, and, and she just she doesn't look like having any hiccups anytime soon. No. Like I'm looking at her right now and I'm just thinking, she she's not going to slow down. She's just going to keep ticking along, and there's no there's no speed humps inside for her, which I think is great. Um, but I guess talking of worrisome players, like if you look at the flip side of things, like where um, obviously it's only one result, but where where does a result like that leave Karolina Pliskova? Because we're really just we're waiting for her just to to win a Grand Slam. We've been talking about it for so long, and it just hasn't happened yet, and um, you. When, when we think about someone like Iga bageling her in a 1,000 final, it really makes you wonder, um, you know, th- this is another player that, that is catching up to her. Um, and, you know, she's still in a, in a reasonably good age bracket, but she's also not getting any younger by the same token. Um, and as more gun female tennis players come through and the more competition there is, you, you, just, you just can't help but think that her chances now really are, just slowly slipping away. Um, and I just, I really hope that um, we don't get to a point where she runs out of opportunities because it, it really would be a shame um, if she didn't get one. Um, and obviously with Roland Garros coming up, she's got a great chance to actually win one. I don't necessarily think that um, it's her best chance of doing it. Um, with Probably with Wimbledon coming up, it's probably more likely, probably it really suits her game the grass, but um yeah, I think it, it's really just exacerbated my worry that um, we've, we've got this just incredible athlete on our hands in the WTA. that's that's unfortunately um, a very big chance now of going unrewarded in a Grand Slam sense, which would just be a, a
0: huge shame. I don't think it's a big chance, Joel. I reckon it's 100% done. I don't think she's getting one. I think there's players that have it's come. Done. Yeah, but, well, I've said this for, for a while now. I've always been worried about her ever since she's, you know, not been able to convert being world number one and struggling to break through even then. When's she going to yeah. do it? When is she going to do it? She gets the finals and, and she, and she just chokes. And look, I really like Carolina Pliskova and I love the way she plays. I love her personality. I think she's a great asset for the game of tennis, but I don't think she's winning a grand slam. I really don't. And you look at what Iga Fiontek did to her, someone that's so much younger than her and that's absolutely wiped her off the court. And, yeah, you get to the French Open if she plays her again. I, I can see it happening. Yeah, maybe not six love six love, but with the way Svionzek plays, she she's she's going to be very difficult to beat. But the lady who did beat her in Madrid, Ash Barty, is one lady that I want to talk to you about, Joel. She did lose the Madrid final to Arena Sabalenka uh, six love three six six four, pushed it to three, but Sabalenka avenged her loss for Stuttgart um, a couple of weeks prior. But Ash is looking in some of the most ominous form that I've seen from anybody in a very long time. She would have been pretty exhausted in Madrid, and then Rome she had to pull out um, with an injury uh, in her quarterfinal match against Coco Golf. But she's, in my opinion, Joel, she's the favourite for the French Open. And I think even with the form that Svantec is in and with all the form that the others are in, I think Barty wins. If she's 100% fit, it's going to be very difficult to beat Ashley Barty at the at Roland Garros. And it looks as though she's going to go, well, technically not back-to-back, well, back-to-back for her at the French Open, but she's, she's just, the way that she's playing, the way that she's moving, and it's scintillating, it's sensational, it's magnificent. And that discussion that we had about Naomi Osaka being the current world number one player, even though she's not ranked there, I retract it. I genuinely think that Ash Barty is the world number one player and the best player in the world in tennis at the moment because after the Australian Open, Osaka has been nowhere to be seen and Ash Barty has been at the forefront of, of women's tennis and been really dominating over there on the European circuit.
1: Yeah, she's been brilliant, Ash. And going into Roland Garros, um, yeah, look, I, I tend to agree about her being being a favourite. Um, obviously, we can't forget about... Uh, you know the likes of uh, of Simona Halep, who I think is going to have a, a big say at the pointy end of the tournament. But um, and we've obviously spoken about it a lot. It's it's sort of no secret. Um, but uh, I guess on, on clay, um, just the, the 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 unique slice backhand that that Ash has on, on the WTA circuit, I think that's going to be such a massive asset um, at Roland Garros um, and. Um, I guess looking at her, sort of juxtaposing her with, with uh, some of the other um, contenders for for the title, um, you know, that's that's one thing that really stands out. I mean, it always stands out on the WTA because she's one of the only players with with that shot in in her kit bag. Um, but on the on the clay slam, um, you know, I think uh, being being uh, you know the slowest of the of the surfaces, um, you know, I, that's. It's going to count for a lot, I think. So, um, yeah, I think that probably sets Ash ahead.
0: Yep, I think it really does. And what she's been able to produce so far, I think she went on a streak of 11 top 10 wins in a row before Sabalenka ended that streak. She has just been in ominous form and she's just dispatching everybody that she comes up against and players that she's had difficulties against as well. So I think it's really impressive what Ash has been able to conjure up so far in 2021 despite that little blip in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. But, um, look, Alexander Zverev is another one winning in Madrid um, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought that was a really impressive result for Sasha considering I think he's now, I think he's the only the fourth active male player to hold four Masters 1000 titles, which I find really staggering that only, sorry, fifth Mm. active player, sorry, behind uh, the big four and um, and now himself, I find it staggering, Joel, the fact that there's only five active players—not four—that hold four Masters, one thousands, or more. It's it's unbelievable.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's isn't it, it? It's just another one of those things where you just you just look at what these guys have achieved, um, and you know, it's taken all this. It's taken all, all this time. Um, and finally, we've got another one in in Alex. And to be honest, it's probably not he's probably not the guy that I would have picked um, because I look at I kind of look at his game, and yes, he's got a good game, but um, you know, I probably I, I probably wouldn't have seen him achieving that on clay. I don't think I don't know about you, but mm. um, yeah, you know, maybe maybe would have put it down to to one of the one of the other uh, sort of there or thereabouts guys like a, a team or. Even a Stefano City pass who we're going to speak about very soon. But, um, yeah, I mean, fair play to Alex, but um, I I certainly wouldn't have have thought that about him.
0: Yeah, neither would I. Like, he's been unbelievable. And three of his four Masters 1000 titles have come on, Clay, with 2017 in Rome. He won uh, 2018 uh, Madrid, 2021 Madrid now, and then 2017 uh, he also took out the um, the Masters 1000 in Montreal. So, amazing result for Alexander Zverev, especially after, you know, he's had chances. He, he, To be honest, he should have beaten Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open this year. He didn't, so moot point. But yeah. he should have beaten him. He had chances in all of those sets to knock him off and could have gone on because Medvedev absolutely imploded in the final. He would have knocked off Karatsev. Zverev could be a Grand Slam champion by now. Probably should have won the US Open final last year. Had his chances there. Two sets to love in front. Right.
1: Definitely like
0: that. So it, it, it's probably a matter of if, not when with Alexander Zverev because he keeps bobbing up and he keeps having these big performances at best of three in best of three set tournaments. He needs to translate this now. He needs to look at the French Open and say, this is my shot. I need to pull something out of the hat now. And put the pressure on these big guys because surely Djokovic and Nadal, or and it's not going to be Federer. Surely it's not one of the big three that wins it again. It can't be again, Joel. One of them has to stand up and and actually push them because it's just not. It just this is the frustrating thing, and it's probably going to be a Djokovic and Nadal final again. Even though I hope it's not. I hope that there's someone different that can bob up and beat one of them or or challenge or even win the tournament, but. It just doesn't seem as though that's going to happen. So I think Zverev and Sitsipas, and we're gonna to talk to Harry about Sitsipas next and what he's gonna be able to do and conjure up, but there's some you know, there's some serious concerns over the next gen at the moment, and I think the French Open is going to exacerbate them or maybe say, you know what, they're here and they're thereabouts now. So I think that's um I think that's where things are at and we we've discussed this before many times, but I don't think there's any other way to put it.
1: Yep. think it's something like that.
0: Yep. Well, let's get to Harry Mannaris now because uh, he's going to talk to us about what Stephanotisipas has done for the Greek community, not only in Australia, but around the world. And Joel, we love our interesting stories on this podcast. And one that we have uh, lined up for all the listeners today is the one of Harry Mannaris who does join us. He's... Uh, He's got a very interesting relationship with Stephanos Tsitsipas. Uh, living in Melbourne, strong Greek community in Melbourne, and um, he's he's known Stephanos for many, many, many years. And we're going to get him on to talk about it. Harry, you're also the realtor to the stars, mate. How are you, mate?
2: Very well, very well, Val. Thank you for having me uh, on air. And um, yeah, uh, look forward to uh, having a chat with you. It's been a while since we've spoken, so I'm um, really looking forward to it, and always happy to talk about tennis and Stefanos and other sports in general with you
0: has been a long time since we've spoken so it's nice to actually we've got the uh the facebook messenger zoom or zoom style meeting going so it's nice to be able to do it face to face but um how, talk to us about this relationship with steph because i have seen your face in his uh in his uh, player box at the tennis and um uh, over the years and uh you, you've gotten to know him since he was really really young tell us about how that came about
2: yeah, well, I think it, it came a combination of, uh, of two things uh, from day dot. I think, um, obviously, you, you know how uh, crazy and uh, sick I am when it comes to, uh, to tennis. I even take annual leave every year just to watch the Australian Open. But um, one thing was my passion and how, and how obsessed I am with the sport. And uh, the other is, obviously, um, the connections back overseas there in Greece. Um, obviously, you know, tennis up until obviously the most recent success of of, of Steph and Maria Sakari, of course, representing Greece in the uh, WTA. Um, it was a little known sport. Hardly anyone played it. So um, it was a very, very small community. The good news is it's expanding day by day with more courts and whatnot being built over there. But um, through my uh, ca- connections and contacts there, they informed me that he was coming over with his father, Apostolos, his coach, of course, as well, um, for the junior roles open um, and to take good care of him. and. Um, you know what us Greek people are like, Val? It's always about, you know, wrapping our arms around one, one another. Our doors are always open and uh, there's always a big feed as well in terms of uh, cuisine and food
0: involved as well. That's exactly right. Well, Steph does his, uh, does have his own uh, souvlaki like named after him at Stalactite. It's one of the uh, Greek establishments in the Melbourne CBD. But, Harry, it's been um, – watching his career blossom, I guess, must make you so proud as a friend and as a fan as well because – he, he had a really amazing 2018, getting himself entrenched in that you know top 50, top 30, and then he comes out and beats Roger Federer at the 2009 Australian Open en route to the semi-finals. How big was that, just in terms of his career progression and just saying, I'm here, I am the real deal, eventually I want to win a slam and I've got the game to do it? Yeah, it, it
2: definitely was massive. I think you know, um, the general public probably see the, the 2018 as his semi-breakout year, and obviously the Oz Open that he had in 2019 was the major breakout because he uh, dethroned Roger, beat Baltista a good in a quarter. Obviously, got his you know got battered pretty badly against Nadal in the semi-finals. But I'd like to take it a, a step back. I think the real break point uh, or the breaking point rather to Steph's career was, look, his father's done a lot for him. Um, he's been a fantastic, you know, coach to him and a mentor and has made a lot of sacrifices for it, for him. But I think it was 2016 US Open juniors. Um, not many people were even at his match. I just think there was literally two or three people in the crowds. But one gen- gentleman by the name of Patrick Moratoglu, who's obviously Serena Williams' coach, um, came to, I think it was his second-round match. Played a young American kid back then. They were about 16 or 17 years old. Won convincingly in... Patrick was literally begging, at his father and coach, can I please sign him up to my academy? I see you so much talent with your son. And I think, you know, within a year, you know, that was the best timing in terms of where Steph was at as a player to then make the biggest jump in a tennis transition, which is from the juniors into the ATP circuits, um, where we see, you know, um, a lot of players in particular, and, you know, I'm proud to be Australian as well, Boys, but um, a lot of the Aussie boys that struggle—they're gr- they're great at junior level, but they just can't convert into great players um, onto the ATP circuit or the ITF and Challenger circuit, and, and keep climbing those rankings. And it's also a problem I've noticed of uh, recent years for a lot of American junior players that aren't converting into good ATP players and climb their way through the ITF and uh, Challenger tour.
1: Yeah, well, Patrick mouratoglou he's certainly got a right for talent, doesn't he? But um, I guess this this might Harry might kind of speak for itself, but I, you've probably got a better idea um, being of, of Greek heritage yourself. Um, obviously, sort of around the world in in different sports, we see um, you know sports stars have these these huge profiles, and you know obviously they're, they're celebrities, but in a lot of places they're they're rock stars, and certainly I think in the tennis context, we look at a guy like Novak Djokovic in in Serbia. I mean, his profile is just Absolutely enormous. So, like, in, in Greece, like, how big is, is that from, like,
2: what's, what's his style like there? Yeah, 100%. I, with Novak, I've always said to, we've got a lot of Serbian friends and, and whatnot and Portuguese friends as well. So they're always arguing about football normally, but I always say Novak's like the Cristiano of Serbia and, and Cristiano's like the Novak of uh, Portugal. So I like that analogy. Yeah. But, uh, look, in Greece, like I said, tennis is now a sport it was known Um, We've had a few players that have sort of floated around 150, 100 in the world. But um, with Stefanos in particular and Maria Sakari's progression, as I mentioned before, it's now well and truly evolving on a daily basis, which is good. Um, And I think Steph's profile in Greece, um, I know in Athens he's on a lot of billboards. You know, he's doing promotions for like Rexona. Um, You know, a few banks have approached him. He's done some advertising for them as well. Um, So they're the big two Um, And it's literally him and Janice, obviously, under the conflict from the Milwaukee Bucks, who are literally dominating um, the rock star celebrity sports um, status over there in Athens and all the other big cities in Greece, of course, on billboards.
1: Yeah, and having asked about Stefanos, I guess it's only fair to ask about Maria Sakari because I mean she's she's been just so impressive, um, and is is doing great things in in her own right. So um, I guess I'll shape the question a little bit differently, like how how important is it for great tennis to have Stefanos on the men's side, but also Maria on the women's side to I guess provide both genders with that um, you know that sort of role model.
2: A hundred percent. I think it's 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 very imperative. Um, one thing I do would also like to mention is I, I do know um, Maria personally, obviously not as well as Steph, but one thing I do know about both of them is is they give back. Um, they're, they're really a, a true role models um, for both Greek females and males that are wanting to pick up the racket, not just in tennis, but in everyday life. So it's, it's, it's very pivotal because, like you said, there hasn't been a big production line of Greek tennis players, male or female, in past years. Um, The problem is, um, I'm going to say it as it is here, you know, just because I'm Greek, we're not the perfect race, but um, the federation definitely needs to improve over there. It's, you know, um, I think Tennis Australia does a fantastic job. Obviously, they host a Grand Slam, a lot more opportunity over here. They can invest in their tennis infrastructure. Are their methods right the way they develop their juniors? Maybe not, but they can improve on that, right? Where Greece, you know, there's little tennis infrastructure. There's been little motivation Um, you know obviously it's a country that's had its economic uh, problems in uh, past years and still experiencing it so you know tennis is an expensive sport um, let alone to motivate kids in the future generations going there when there's a bit of uh, coin involved in the process as well so it's very imperative that both of them are successful um, that they are going deep in major in the majors and you know picking up titles from time to time as well but um Really good news during the week. Uh, Maria hit her career high, world number 18 now, which is fantastic from a little lone tennis nation like Greece and obviously steps number five now and could go, you know, the sky's the limit for him as well.
0: Exactly. And especially after he's just won Monte Carlo, came so, so, so close to beating Nadal in Barcelona and then uh, agonising defeat to Novak Djokovic in Rome. So he's thereabouts. Is this Roland Garros the best chance that he's got to win a slam so far in his career. He's got the form on clay, semifinals of the French last year, came from two sets down against Novak, knows that he can come from two sets down against Nadal and push him on the clay. He, would he be going into this tournament saying, geez, I, I can actually win this?
2: Absolutely. I mean, his, his belief system's phenomenal. Um, he, he'll never, never be frightened by an occasion. Um, and that goes down to his dedication and hard work. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to speak um, on behalf of Steph on, on on this, but just the tennis public in general, they still need to respect the likes of Rafa, especially, you know, of Philip Chartier court. They should rename it after him, which is success he's had. Yeah. Uh, Novak's Novak. Um, obviously, Clays his weakest surface, but he's still got a very, very phenomenal game on that. And then I think two, despite recent results on the dirt, um, you also have to respect the new Grand Slam champion in Dominic Thiem, yeah. who loves his play, but... Um, and then I'll probably say, yeah, fourth in line is Steph. Now, as the big two now, um, Rafa and Novak are raging, um, I think it is a window of opportunity for a Steph or a Medvedev to, to nab a, uh, a, a Grand Slam, somewhat along the lines. Believe it or not, um, at the start of 2020, Val, I did there's some video of me on YouTube. I'll, I'll send you the link after another time. I actually predicted 2021 Roland Garros would be Stephano's first um, grand Slam title. That was from two years back. So I hope my prediction is right. But I just can't see it happening just yet because of how dominant Rafa has performed on clay, especially in recent weeks. And I think he's primed to go for number 14. But who knows what the future will hold. I just hope he avoids Rafa and Dominic Tam in the draw. Um, I hope, honestly, he can get a rematch at, at Novak um, in the quarters of the semis. I hope he's on that side of the draw.
0: So do I. I'd Love to see Steph take out Novak. I think everybody that's listened to me on this show knows my feelings on on Djokovic. But um, I, I do. But we definitely do need to see the footage of that video because if Steph does win, we're playing it on the show. We'll get you back on afterwards, and we can uh, yeah. we can celebrate in style. But I think seeing the success that uh, Sitsipas and Sakari have both had uh, on the circuits over the last couple of years, and then. You pit that against what Italy has been able to do with their men's stars, and you've got Berrettini, Fornini, Musetti, and, and so many more that are playing so well. If you look at that model of what Italian tennis has done, because they were in the wilderness for a very, very long time, that must give you so much confidence with what the Greek Tennis Federation can do in the future.
2: Of course, absolutely. I mean, Italy is a perfect example um, I think Italy also, even in those sort of forgotten years, they did have some good players. You know, Simone Bolelli, Filippo mm-hmm. Volandri. Um, there were a couple others, but there weren't too many uh, star shine-outs. Obviously, on the women's side, you had Francesca Schiavone. She won the, uh, the, the Roland Garros, in actual fact. So, it did have somewhat success. I always firmly believe that um, when your country hosts an ATP or WTA event tournament, that's even a more massive boost um, into the development yeah. of kids because let's just use Roger Federer as an example. Once upon a time, he was a ball boy at Basel, um, you know, when he was learning his trade as a, as a young uh, future wizard of the game. So um, that's just a perfect example of how, you know, the first step. But then obviously you've got to look at the grassroots element as well. You've got to make sure that the, uh, you know, the federation is doing the right things uh, for the players. Unfortunately... The Greek one isn't um, at this point in time for both males and females, um, you know, and it's sort of governed by the uh, Hellenic Olympic Committee um, before it's even governed by the uh, Hellenic Tennis Federation, if that makes sense. So, I think, yeah, there's a lot of change that needs to be made from the federation point of view, but uh, you know, I, I really do believe Steph and Maria's success um, is carving a way for a future generation and hopefully a huge production line of uh, future Greek stars on the WTA and ATP
0: circuit. Well, let's hope because they do make the atmosphere at any tournament, absolutely electric. So fingers crossed that does happen. Harry Manoris, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And hopefully if Steph does win the uh, the French open, we're going to get you back on and we'll play that video and celebrate your success in tipping rather than uh, Steph's win, because that's even more marvelous. Thanks very much, mate.
2: No worries. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, and uh, keep up the good work with all the content that you produce, and um, all the very best uh, as well.
0: Harry Manner is there joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. An absolute pleasure to talk tennis with him. He's a big, big fan of the sport and does so much for um, does so much for it in promoting it on his own social channels and so on. But um, yeah, really, really interesting to see what Stefano Tsitsipas and Maria Sakari have both done for tennis in Greece and what they've done for tennis around the world in Greek communities it, it's genuinely phenomenal to see and hopefully that can continue to skyrocket because as I did say the the Greek fans at the Australian Open and we saw it with Marcos Baghdatis and now and the Cypriot fans but um the Cypriot Greeks um, they absolutely love Marcos Bagdadis and now um, Stefano Tsitsipas and Maria Sakari well and truly carrying that domain as well. But, Joel, it is time for our first Benoit of the week in a long, long time, in three weeks. So we're very excited to see who this is going to be. And do you want to take the honours for um, our, our Benoit after our little hiatus? I might, uh,
1: might have to handball it over to you, mate, because I think you're... Uh... We were talking about this, this earlier, and I think you you threw one up, which uh, I tended to agree with. But uh, I think you should uh, maybe take this one away.
0: Okay, all right. I'll I'll uh, I'll take the Joe the Goose over the top. But it's Dennis <laughs> Shapovalov gets it this week because, now, we know we've seen him rap after tennis matches in Miami or Indian Indianapolis, <laughs> wherever they got him to do it. But he's dropped some singles. If you look on Apple Music and search Dennis Shapovalov in the search bar, he comes up. Chapeau music. Comes up. There's a photo of Dennis Shapavalov there. There you go, Joel. On Spotify as well. And he's got a new he's got a few new songs. There's uh Midnight Midnight Life is the single, but um or the album, a little album. He's got three songs, all explicit by nature. Um they've all got a little oh. bit of swearing in it. Um Broken, I Got the Key, Midnight Life. He's also collabed with Quarantine Moutet, the French player. Oh no, no. They've done a song together. Um, and in all honesty, it's R&B. It's R&B. I don't like it. That's why he's getting Benoit. Look, it's not my cup of tea. Um, I don't know if it's your cup of tea as well, but it's... I, I can't, not. I absolutely cannot stand that music. I find it boring. I find it just... I, I don't get it. I never will. But, you know, it's not to say that you're not allowed to like it. You are, if you if you do. But yeah, I'm definitely not a fan of the music. But good on, good on Denis Shapovalov, and good on Quarantine Moutet. He raps in French, and he raps okay. So you know, that's that's all I can really say on that. That's Benoit of the week, and that goes to Denis Shapovalov for his uh, for his for his rap music and his rap career. That. He'll probably start when uh, when his tennis career finishes. But, yeah, you can check that out on Apple Music and Spotify, I am sure. Um, Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure getting back behind the mic with you and talking all things tennis. I've missed it. um, And looking very much forward to next week when the French Open kicks off um, and we'll get to talk all things Roland Garros. And then we head into the best time of the year, one that we missed last year with the grass.
1: Yep, sounds good, mate. Can't wait. Bring it on.
0: Very excited. Joel Frucci there joining me. Remember, you can spo- uh, subscribe to us on Apple Music, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. And also, you can download the tennis app at Download Tennis on Twitter. And you can download them on the App So the best live scores app in the business. And we are on there as well as part of their streaming section. Just click podcast and we are there. You can also subscribe on Mushka, um, wherever you do find your podcasts. And you can also uh, follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram Breakpoint Podcast and Facebook Breakpoint Pod. It's been Val Feber and Joel Frucci. Big thank you to Harry Manoris again for joining us on the show tonight. But this has been Breakpoint Podcast for another week. It's been great to be back. We'll catch you next time for the French Open.